Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. There is some confusion over the exact number of bodies that have been found in a common grave in the basement of this barn along Route 6. Police, firemen, and federal alcohol, tobacco, and firearms agents spent the entire day sifting through the grave. The body of a man was found last night, two or three others this afternoon. And the search goes on at this hour. Now, here's what we know. 17 members of a religious cult headed by Jeff Lundgren left the church about two years ago. Lundgren was a lay minister and volunteer tour guide at the Kirtland Temple. Dale Luffman is president of the local church. He saw himself as the spiritual leader, and from the reports we've received from persons who kind of picked up from things that members of that community um, uh, referred to him, they referred to him as their prophet. Lundgren left the church with his followers after he was threatened with excommunication because of his teachings. Police sources tell me Lundgren and his cult then planned to take over the temple using automatic weapons and taking hostages if they had to. Lundgren reportedly wanted to hold on to the temple until the second coming of Christ. We were in very close discussion with the uh, law authorities and uh, um, they helped us to understand that we needed to be careful about our own personal activities. Then back last April, FBI agents and police surrounded the farmhouse and questioned the group. That's when the plot fell apart. Dennis and Cheryl Avery wanted out. I'm told that's when the Averys and their three little girls were executed, their bodies buried in the barn. The cold left Kirtland, and I'm told it broke up just last month. An informant told federal authorities in Kansas City last week exactly where the bodies were buried. Hello and welcome to episode 140 of Who Killed? I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcasts production. On today's episode, we are going to start looking into the Kirtland cult killings from 1989 in Kirtland, Ohio. Located in Lake County and only a 25-minute drive east of Cleveland, the small town became a national story in January 1990. Just one month before the body of Amy Mahalovic would be found in rural Ashland County, there was another case that was leading the news. And like a lot of families in the late 80s, we would watch the local news as we ate dinner. And the Kirtland cult killings led every newscast. While I could relate to Amy's case as a 10-year-old, this case was something I couldn't wrap my head around. Clearly, I wasn't the only one since... Every national news outlet had set up shop in the rural town and would broadcast nightly from the scene. With my decades of therapy, I believe those early impressions of death, even just by watching the news, likely left a mark. Let's just look at the profession I am currently working in. Anyhow, I just couldn't grasp how a seemingly normal family could leave the comforts of their life to move into a commune with a man claiming to be a prophet. Why would people believe someone who made such claims? Why would they follow him into depravity? I couldn't find any answers to these questions as a kid, and I still have some trouble seeing exactly what leads to these decisions. Again, the only people that really know the answers to these questions are those who were involved or have been involved with a cult along with people who have made their profession out of studying cult-like behaviors. 
But there is a reason why people like David Koresh can build a compound in Waco with the help of hundreds, or say the 900 people who followed Jim Jones into the jungle. Charisma is the first thing that I think of, but the answer is to why is really not easily found, and we will not be going down that avenue today. But it is clear that their devotion can become deadly, as we saw in Jonestown and Waco. And before David Koresh became the national cult boogeyman, you had one Jeffrey Lundgren. He moved to Kirtland in 1984 to become a volunteer guide at an RLDS temple. And when he left in 1989, he left a disaster in his wake and a community left with so many unanswered questions. According to the book, The Kirtland Massacre, Lundgren enrolled at Central Missouri State University, where he met Alice Keeler, a fellow member of the RLDS Church. The two married in 1970, after which Lundgren enrolled in the U.S. Navy and serving during the Vietnam War. Now, Oxygen.com says Lundgren was honorably discharged in 1974, by which time he and Alice had two children. Court documents go on to state that Lundgren struggled to support his family and often stole from his employers. Lundgren and his new family eventually made home in San Diego after his discharge, but since Jeff was not good at managing funds or holding on to a job, they ended up back in Missouri. So in 1979, Lundgren's wife had their third child, a daughter. And people close to the couple claim that Lundgren seemed frustrated by the family's money problems and was generally tired of his wife. And he allegedly became abusive after the birth of his daughter. The thing that divided the Averys and many others when the RLDS church voted to ordain women in 1984 was the breaking point. To show their disapproval, they moved to another congregation, and this is where they would have the unlucky fate of meeting one Jeffrey Lundgren, who had grown up in Independence, Missouri. Now, after moving to town, Lundgren became a lay minister in Kirtland for the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, hence the RLDS. Now, Dale Luffman, that's with an L, president of the Northeast Ohio chapter of the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, said that Lundgren worked from 1985 to 1987 at a church temple in Kirtland. Now, Lundgren had conducted tours for the public of the church's 153-year-old temple in Kirtland when he moved from Kansas City, Missouri. Now, again, for a while, things were going well, but it didn't take long for the wheels to fall off the bus. He lived on the church property until he began preaching radical doctrines during tours, according to Luffman. Apparently, Lundgren began seeing himself as a prophet, using his lay ministry and tour job as forums to recruit followers. When Lundgren lived in Independence, Missouri, he had a falling out with the local church, and that's what made the decision to move to Kirtland. He was charismatic enough because family members, neighbors, and friends told the Associated Press 
that his followers quit their jobs and sold their belongings and able to afford the move to Ohio. When Lundgren was defrocked from the church, he took his followers down what we would call today an extremist path. The Associated Press said despite warnings and pleadings, the followers moved in with Lundgren on the farm, living commune style, turning their paychecks from outside employment over to him and allowing him to read their mail, listen on their telephone calls, and otherwise monitor their lives, according to police. Luffman would say that the group became extremely isolated and would rarely be seen eating out with people that weren't part of the cult. Now, the Avery family, as I mentioned before, they left Independence, Missouri to join up with Lundgren and the RLDS in 1987. Marie Hayworth, a friend from Independence, said, I just don't think they know what they were getting into when they went to Kirtland. Avery and his wife both grew up on the West Coast as members of the RLDS church, and again, that has roots with the Mormon church, but it is not the same. It is separate. They were married in Independence, where the church is based, in 1970. Avery, who worked 17 years as a computer programmer for a Kansas City bank, was a deacon in one of the RLDS congregations that surrounded the Independence area. Cheryl Avery taught preschool and Sunday school, sewed her family's clothes, and took her quote-unquote bookworm daughters to summer reading programs at the public library. The family lived in one of the older parts of Independence in a small house. Their daughters went to public schools for a while, but in 1986, they were homeschooled. So you may be wondering, why did this Mormon offshoot settle in Kirtland? That's a good question. As it turns out, the founder of the Mormon church once lived in the town in the 1830s. In fact, the very temple where Lundgren was giving tours and slowly indoctrinating people was built by Joseph Smith himself. There is a lot of information out there about Kirtland and the Mormon church, so I went straight to the source, churchofjesuschrist.org. Again, this is according to the church. Kirtland from 1831 to 1832, and again from 1833 to 1838, was the headquarters for the Latter-day Saint movement. Joseph Smith moved the church to Kirtland in 1831, shortly after its formal organization in April 1830 in Fayette, New York. Latter-day Saints built their first temple there, a historic landmark owned and operated by Community of Christ, which was formerly RLDS one of the main Latter-day Saint movement groups. And the temple was built, according to the church, with a degree of opulence considering the underdeveloped nature of the area and the poverty of most early church members. The church goes on to say, God commanded Joseph Smith in 1832 to build a temple in Kirtland, Ohio. The prophet and several others saw the Kirtland temple in a vision which provided its design. Construction began in June 1833 at a time of poverty in the church. Work was hampered because many of the brethren were absent with Zion's camp. When they returned, Joseph Smith labored with others in the sandstone, sandstone quarry 
and vigorous efforts to build the temple resumed. Church members made enormous sacrifices to complete this house of the Lord. The prophet Joseph dedicated the Kirtland Temple on March 27, 1836. Again, this is from the church records, but they state that, quote, many attending the Kirtland Temple dedication in 1836 claimed to see multiple heavenly visions and appearances of heavenly beings, including deity. Most of the saints moved away from Kirtland in 1838 for reasons that may surprise you. But not surprisingly, the temple fell into disrepair after the Mormons moved, and its ownership was challenged. The reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, now known as the Community of Christ, gained title to the building in 1880. Now, they would go on to restore the temple and maintain it to this day, and they do support it with guided tours. So again, why did the Mormons and Smith leave Ohio? Well, it depends on who you ask. One thing is clear. Smith founded the first Mormon-controlled bank, putting his economic and quote-unquote spiritual practices to work. According to History.com, it was after his Mormon bank failed in the Panic of 1837 when Joseph Smith fled to avoid arrest and headed to Missouri to rebuild his religious community. People became angry and disillusioned, and some of whom claimed he made egregious errors in managing their money. The reorganized church based in Independence split from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, often referred to as the Mormon Church, based in Salt Lake City. As I said, the churches are separate, but they are both rooted in the Book of Mormon and the writings of founder Joseph Smith. Luffman would go on to say that London at first seemed devoted enough in his tours and his Sunday school teachings, but later became menacing. Quote, he apparently felt the leaders of the church were part of the unrighteous around the temple and needed to be eradicated. That was the term he used. Shelley Sowers, who was 31 and a neighbor of Lundgren's before he rented the 15-acre farm, said it seemed strange but not alarming that so many unrelated people lived under one roof. Sowers told the paper, quote, We knew they had taken in a group of people. We just figured they were fanatical like him. I never thought of it as a cult. That's such an evil word. While it was becoming more and more apparent to the public that Jeffrey Lundgren was insane, his followers continued to buy in. And the Averys, along with other members, apparently became so controlled, again, by him that they would actually give him their paychecks. And the Averys even bought him a gun on their credit card. In an effort not to stand out or look suspicious, cult members began wearing paramilitary gear, started sporting camouflage clothing, and like all inconspicuous of things, they began practicing with guns and other weapons. Now, authorities did state that they adopted code names such as Eagle Eye and Talon One. Now, of course, that is sarcasm because, yeah, if you're going to start a cult, yeah, you probably don't do things like practice shooting and, you know, 
wear paramilitary gear around town. Or give yourself code names. Just saying. Just one of those things. And according to the Akron Beacon Journal, it was Jeffrey Lundgren who brought his followers along as they roamed farms and wilderness in three states, leading a secret communal life while investigators looked for signs of impending mass murder. For more than a year, agents in Missouri and Ohio and West Virginia exchanged information after a tipster warned of possible killings. Apparently, ATF agents watched the group's movements, its pitched tents and target practices, and its secretive ways. But they operated enough within the law, and therefore, they were never arrested. Kirtland Police Chief Dennis Yarborough told the paper the group was even making improvements on the farm, and it was hard to make a case of threatening behavior. Yarborough went on to say, quote, The family had started adding things like siding. They were acting and appearing like good citizens. It was kind of a paradox. Now, shortly after the Averys arrived in Ohio, Lundgren was actually asked to resign from his temple position and he was eventually defrocked after his teachings became unchristian, according to Reverend Dale Luffman. Now, the Averys at this point broke all ties with the RLDS church when Lundgren was asked to resign. Unlike most of Lundgren's followers, the Averys actually lived in town about three miles from the commune, and Avery worked at a security company and did odd jobs. No one quite knows when it was Lundgren and his followers made the switch from his fundamentalist RLDS teachings to a full-blown cult that was full of heavy drinkers and trained for paramilitary activities and called their leader the prophet. Cheryl Avery's mother, Donna Bailey of Centralia, Washington, said she telephoned and wrote her daughter frequently after the Averys moved to Ohio. Quote, I caught on early that these were the wrong types of beliefs, Bailey said in an interview for the Kansas City Times. Quote, the Averys moved in during the fall of 1988, and one time she said, quote, people think we're a cult, but we're not. That made me concerned. As a parent, I would be very concerned about that. But I'm not a parent. I just have dogs and a cat. Anyway, Lundgren apparently seemed irritated with Avery all the time. And this is according to John Oliveras, whose daughter once lived at the commune. Now, Bonnie Oliveras, then 11, lived there with her mother in spring of 1988. Now, this was until he regained custody. And guess what? The mother is tied up in some pretty tough legal issues at the moment. Oliveras said that his daughter, that Lundgren, would complain that Mr. Avery could only do five push-ups while everybody else was doing 20 or 30. As I said, the Averys moved in the fall of 1988. This time, they moved 30 miles from the commune, leaving several months of back rent unpaid, according to their landlord, Stan Scribus, in Kirtland. But Lundgren's pull was so strong, the family couldn't totally cut ties with the cult. Court documents say by early 1989, Lundgren started saying that the only way the group would reach Zion was by selling off their worldly possessions and retreating into the wilderness. The Averys made it known they would be moving to Wyoming, 
after having a falling out with the cult, a move that would have serious repercussions. Let's take a moment to hear from this week's sponsor, BetterHelp. Let's hear from this week's sponsor, BetterHelp.com. We may have moved past 2020, but 2021 is still looking fairly grim. But today I'm happy to tell you about BetterHelp.com. Because if there's anything holding you back or interfering with your happiness, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. You can connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And it's really convenient because in this current state that we live in, it just has to be. So now you can get help on your own time at at your own pace. All you have to do is schedule a secure video or phone session, or you can chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp really is there for you. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. And if, for whatever reason, you aren't happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time. So if you're suffering from depression or anxiety, stress, anger, relationship issues, heck, you're not getting a good night's sleep, or have LGBT matters, or just low self-esteem, they literally have a licensed professional counselor for you. And of course, everything you share is confidential. The thing I like the most is it's actually affordable. And Who Killed listeners get 10% off their first month with the discount code WHO. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash who. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs, and then you get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, for 10% off, go to betterhelp.com slash who. As if they weren't being cultish enough, Lundgren picked two dates when Jesus was to return to earth, but those days came and went. Quote, when that moment was supposed to occur, they were to be in the temple. Only those who got in the temple would be saved, and the unrighteous would be destroyed, according to Luffman. The Averys were considered to be a loving family by most people who knew them. Dennis Avery was 49, his wife Cheryl was 46, and their three daughters, Trina, 15, Rebecca, 13, and 7-year-old Karen. Now, the Averys made some divisive decisions, one being that they lived on their own and kept some of the proceeds from selling their home in Missouri, which, according to the Cleveland Plain Dealer, Lundgren considered sinful. Lundgren was apparently dissatisfied with Avery because he let his wife become too independent, while the children were disappointing because they were just straight-up disobedient. This was a guy who could not handle this type of behavior, and he would use this to justify his next move. Quote, Several of Lundgren's followers who left the cult told authorities that the leader had violent beliefs, which included death threats against members of his flock. There were some that dropped out, according to Luffman. One alerted authorities about things that really scared him. Lundgren preached to his followers, who were estimated at more than a dozen, that Jesus would destroy anyone not inside the historic Kirtland Temple where he once worked. Now, officials believe Lundgren actually embezzled between $25,000 to $40,000 from the temple, and that is according to the News Herald. Not the nicest guy. 
It was, unfortunately, the Kirtland Fire Chief who had the duty to tell the press that authorities had been led to five bodies on a farm by an anonymous tip. The plane dealer quoted a police source as saying, cult members had to perform the sacrifice before traveling west, quote, where they were, where they, where they would be cleansed and could search for a golden sword, which again was not further characterized. A Kirtland spokesman said the officers who had worked on the investigation almost nonstop for 48 hours and would not comment on the report of human sacrifice. Authorities also would not comment on how the five individuals died. Authorities sent the bodies to Cleveland for autopsies. A neighbor of the commune in Ohio said the group appeared to leave the area last April, and this was April of 1989. The cult members left Kirtland shortly after the murders for wilderness homes in West Virginia and Missouri. Quote, these people were from nice families in our community, not just the Averys, but the people who are in trouble, too. Investigators said they believed Averys were killed in mid-April. In addition to being shot, which they eventually let the public know, the victim... The victim's eyes were also covered with duct tape, and some had their hands and feet bound with duct tape as well. Lake County Prosecutor Stephen C. LaTourette said that the Averys apparently were killed because of Lundgren's interpretation of a prophecy that members had to be sacrificed before the group could relocate to the wilderness. The Lundgrens were eventually arrested in January 1990 in a motel near San Diego, California. Luffman would not commit to the slains being a sacrifice, but said that it probably came over a dispute over money, sex, or fear that the family would just straight up leave the cult. Again, this is one of those situations where you have multiple people involved, not just Jeffrey Lundgren and his wife or son, but their 19-year-old son, Damon, and two other cult members were also charged in this murder. Now, in all, 13 people were charged with murder or conspiracy. And Kirtland Police Chief Dennis Yarborough said his investigation of the house where Lundgren lived began in April 1988, where he heard reports of paramilitary activity, like I said before, not vain, being very inconspicuous, and supposed civil rights violations, but yet no charges were filed. Now, local businessmen who did know the Lundgren family said that Jeff was always fishing and hunting and always had people around him. Now, that was Bray Byers, who was the owner of the Kirtland Hardware Store. Quote, he was a religious guy when I first knew him. He dressed real well. Another Kirtland resident, Doris Straka, said the Lundgrens kept to themselves. She said the, the Lundgrens renovated the farmhouse, gave it a new coat of paint, landscaped the yard, revived an orchard, and set up a gymnasium in the barn, the same barn where the bodies would later be discovered. Now, Lundgren again left the, the area in April 1989, and the cult disbanded. Jeffrey and Damon Lundgren were charged with five counts of aggravated murder and five counts of kidnapping. Alice 
Lundgren was charged with five counts of conspiracy to commit aggravated murder, five counts of kidnapping, and five counts of complicity in the commission of aggravated murder. Now, the Kansas City Associated Press wrote in January 1990, 13 people have been charged with murder or conspiracy after five family members were found buried at an Ohio farm rented by the leader of a religious splinter group, federal authorities said. Five of those charged were arrested late Thursday and early Tuesday in Kansas City and nearby Independence, said George Rodriguez of the Federal Bureau of Tobacco and Firearms. Quote, two of those arrested have confessed to their participation in the mass murders, Rodriguez said at a news conference. He said authorities have a motive, but would not release it. The Cleveland Plain Dealer quoted police sources the newspaper did not name, said that the five may have been killed as part of a religious sacrifice. Rodriguez said federal authorities would not comment on that report for fear of prejudicing juries. He said it was accurate to characterize Lundgren as the leader of a cult, though. And Rodriguez said they were members of a splinter religious group led by Jeffrey Lundgren, who was the former lay minister of the reorganized Church of the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, again, which is located in Independence, Missouri. But apparently, he killed the Avery family between April 16th and 18th. Deputy Sheriff Rick Ring of Johnson County, Missouri, said Lundgren had and a group of people had been living in a barn near Chillahawi, a rural area about 45 miles southeast of Kansas City, and were last seen in the area in late October or early November. Rodriguez was not known whether said it was not known whether Lundgren was in the Kansas City area, but authorities were in contact with his parents who lived nearby. The group led by Lundgren apparently disbanded after members became disgruntled. Rodriguez said the group following Lundgren consisted of 29 men, women, and children, but some members, including the Avery family, would come and go. Ron Luff of Independence was arrested and charged with murder. Those arrested and charged with five counts, each of conspiracy to commit aggravated murder, were identified as Susan Luff of Springfield, Dennis Patrick, Tanya Patrick, and Debbie Oliveras. Remember that name? She's in hot water. Those also charged with the murder were Richard Brand, 26, of Independence, Damon Lundgren, Jeffrey Winship, Catherine Johnson, and two others whose names were not released at the time. Now, with so many people asking why or how this could happen, the press and I turned to Dale Luffman. He said that Lundgren left the church after his ministry credentials were revoked and formed his own religious group. Luffman would not describe the practices of Lundgren's group or why he lost his credentials. But with the reports of embezzlement, it's really not hard to see why he lost his position. Now, commune life is not something that I can understand, but hey, different strokes for different folks. Lundgren and his wife and children were joined in their house by another family, as well as some other random individuals. The group of up to 10 people were living at the house had been under investigation for more than a year for alleged civil rights violations. Now, again, I mentioned that earlier, and 
Dennis Yarborough, the Kirtland police chief, would not specify on what those violations were. According to Grant McMurray, World Church Secretary at the reorganized headquarters in Independence, said Lundgren's lay minister's credentials were actually revoked when his beliefs strayed too far from the church. McMurray said his church has about 250,000 members worldwide. He said it is not affiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, based in Salt Lake City, although both groups base their beliefs on the Book of Mormon and the Bible. Kirtland, again, is an important site in the history of the church founded by Joseph Smith, according to Luffman. I mean, again, Smith built the temple there in 1836. Now, as I mentioned, Kirtland was the site of many significant events in the early history of the church. While living in and around Kirtland, Joseph Smith received dozens of revelations conveying important instructions essential, essential for establishing the church. In Kirtland, Joseph Smith organized the offices and quorums of the priesthood, and the saints built the first temple. Again, this is according to the church. In December 1830, a revelation to Joseph Smith identified the Ohio as the first gathering place for the saints. Earlier that year, Oliver Caudry, Parley P. Pratt, and others baptized many who belonged to congregations led by Sidney Rigdon near Kirtland. These early conversions increased the size of the church substantially and included men and women who would play significant roles in church history, according to the church. Unfortunately for Kirtland, the last impression the church left was one of pure terror. As investigators tried to piece together what happened, they determined each member of the Avery family was lured to the barn in April 1989. And again, this was at the Lundgren's Rental Farm in Kirtland. They were gagged, shot, and dumped into a common grave. Authorities searching the barn found the bodies in January. Now, the ATF in Kansas City warned authorities in Kirtland that Lundgren spoke of a sort of Laban that would be used to decapitate people while taking over the temple in Kirtland. Now, there is mention of this sword in the Book of Mormon. Finally, Luffman said, quote, Frequently with cults, there is some form of sacrifice, whether with personal liberties or sometimes it's as ghastly as animal sacrifice or, as the talk goes, that of human sacrifice. In an article from the Associated Press, they say the slayings of Dennis and Cheryl Avery and their three daughters are the latest in a series of killings and other violent acts linked to small groups with ties to Mormonism. Mormon extremists have been involved in dozens of murders, several bombings, and an assortment of other religiously motivated crimes in the state of Utah. Now, that's where most of the members of the LDS Church live. Much of the violence has been attributed to fundamentalist sects whose leaders believe the mainstream church betrayed the faith when it outlawed polygamy in 1890. And according to this article, the Kirtland killings are believed to be the first incident of cult violence associated with splinter groups of the smaller reorganized church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, according to the Plain Dealer. Now, reports state that in recent years, reorganized church leaders 
have alienated some of the more conservative members by liberalizing church doctrine. His group of followers broke from the church and became known as the Lundgren Commune, operating out of the farmhouse and barn along Route 6. I would say uh, it was very much cult-like. He saw himself as the spiritual leader. Dennis and Cheryl Avery and their three daughters were among his followers. They were a family that, that needed somebody to kind of tell them what to do and when to do it, and it, it seemed, and uh, I think Jeff. Jeff fulfilled that. One body at a time, slowly, paramedics and firemen carried the five out of the barn tonight. It took about eight hours for local police and federal agents to dig through the floor of the barn and exhume the bodies. It's total mud, flood, uh, clay. Police aren't saying how they were killed, but the killer had gagged and bound the victims with electrical duct tape. They were then buried under a layer of clay, a layer of stone, and a layer of dirt. Police believe the family was killed and buried in April of 1989. For a year and nine months, the Kirtland Police Department has been investigating several families who lived together in this house, including the Averys and Jeff Lundgren's family. Police believe Lundgren is the leader of a religious cult responsible for the killings. Hello and welcome to episode 141 of Who Killed? I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast production. I hope everyone has had a great week, and on this week's episode, we are going to conclude our look into the Kirtland cult killings and the murder of the Avery family. I'm going to explore the reasons for this family's execution and what kind of power Jeffrey Lundgren had over his followers. I have questions about what leads people to fall into the crosshairs of a guy like Jeffrey Lundgren. Why did the cult turn on this particular family? How was the group able to keep these murders a secret for almost eight months before someone came forward? Amanda Garrett and Maggie Martin from the Cleveland Plain Dealer did a great job covering this case in their 10-year anniversary article, and I will be quoting some of that article in this episode as well as the opinions from the Ohio Supreme Court, the Associated Press, and Reuters. In December 1989, it was disgruntled cult member Larry Keith Johnson who went to authorities in Kansas City, Missouri. According to court documents, Johnson was angry with his wife, Catherine, because she had been selected by Lundgren to become his second wife in the polygamist tradition. Johnson even drew a map of the barn showing where the bodies were buried, and this was according to the News Herald. The Associated Press also reported that the Avery's bodies were discovered the first week of January 1990, setting off a nationwide manhunt for Lundgren and his remaining followers. As a refresher, and according to the Ohio Supreme Court, Lundgren was born in Missouri and raised in the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, RLDS. While attending college, Lundgren met and married his wife, Alice. Now, of course, he was unsuccessful in school, and therefore Lundgren joined the Navy. He served in the Vietnam War in the early 1970s. Now, he was honorably discharged in 1974. Again, he settled in San Diego originally, and then he unsuccessfully held a series of hospital maintenance and other jobs in Missouri. Lundgren's religious beliefs, although the RLDS headquartered in Independence, Missouri, differs from the Utah-based Mormon church, both religions trace their origins to the prophet Joseph Smith, Jr., who published the Book of Mormon in 1830. 
And again, during the 1830s, Smith moved to Kirtland, Ohio, and built the Kirtland Temple, which is now managed by the RLDS. And it was in the summer of 1984 when Lundgren and his family moved from Missouri to Kirtland so that Lundgren could serve as a senior temple guide, a job that had no pay but did include family lodging. Lundgren initially attracted favorable attention in his Sunday school classes and as a guide. William Russell, a religion professor at an RLDS college, testified that Lundgren knew scripture exceptionally well, especially the Book of Mormon, and followed the chiastic method of scripture interpretation, which involves searching text for recurring patterns. However, Lundgren did not understand the Bible's historical context and tended to concentrate on his esoteric method. Now, Lundgren generally fit within the traditions of the RLDS faith in that he described visions, direct spiritual experiences, and God speaking directly to prophets. Over the next three years, Lundgren served as a temple guide and taught classes on the Bible and the Book of Mormon. Despite the church's direction to turn over all money received from temple visitors to the church, Lundgren solicited and kept contributions received from visitors. Temple contributions dropped dramatically, and the temple bookstore also suffered fund shortages. Again, the church eventually removed Lundgren as a religion teacher, and in October 1987, he was actually fired as a temple guide and evicted from the place where he lived. Here is a basic layout of Lundgren's cult. Murderpedia.com, yes, it is a website, and it's got a lot of interesting information on it, has a very succinct summary of what the cult's beliefs were built upon. So I'm going to read some of the passages from their website. Quote, Lundgren and about two dozen followers had broken away from the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, now called the Community of Christ, a small church that splintered from the mainstream Mormon church. His group believed doomsday was near. Reports state from 1985 on, Lundgren had a certain charisma that was able to get people to think he was more than just a man. And again, this was probably because he was very educated about religion, and this became an attractive element as he was building a group of people who would eventually become his followers. Now, he was able to convince Kevin Curry and Sharon Blunchley to move in with the family, as did Richard Brand, Daniel Kraft, Gregory Winship, and Debbie Oliveras eventually came in April 1988. In a disturbing aspect of their life, these people were living in Lundgren's home, and they would call him dad, and they contributed their paychecks and other money for common group expenses. Two couples, Ron and Susan Luff, and Dennis and Tanya Patrick, also contributed money but did not live with Lundgren's. In the spring of 1987, the Avery family moved from Missouri to follow Lundgren's teaching. Again, the Avery family included Dennis, who was 49, Cheryl, 46, daughters Trina, age 15, Rebecca, 13, and Karen, 7. Unlucky name. Lundgren was eventually evicted, as I said before, and again, they moved to a rented farmhouse. 
And this is where Lundgren would proceed his indoctrination of his people. He did this by, quote, stressing the importance of the Kirtland Temple. According to Lundgren, his followers had to recapture the temple. An earthquake would elevate it, and Christ would return and establish Zion. Lundgren also spoke of his conversations with God and his visions. He discussed the Book of Revelations and the Book of Mormon and referred to pruning the vineyard and the need to kill 10 followers before Zion could be created. As I mentioned in the first episode, it was around this time that the men in the group started dressing like paramilitary militiamen, basically, and they were training to take over the temple. And again, Lundgren picked May 3rd of all days, 1988, which just so happened to be his birthday, it must be a cult leader thing, as the day to recapture the temple, but later decided it was not time yet. The Avery's family was, quote, on the fringe of the group and were invited to only a few of Lundgren's prayer meetings. By October 1988, the RLDS church had excommunicated Lundgren. In early 1989, Lundgren was stressing the need for his followers to go on a wilderness trip before Zion would be possible. Lundgren may have been losing his grip on his followers because both Kevin Curry and another follower, Shar Olson, left the group, but he replaced them with Catherine and one Larry Johnson. From 1988 to 1989, the group became more and more radical. Lundgren would tell his followers they would need to begin preparing for the end times. He also convinced his followers the group would soon elevate to Zion again, as I mentioned before, if they committed a certain act for him. According to this Ohio Supreme Court, it was in April 1989, at Lundgren's direction, the group began preparing for their wilderness trip. Those who worked left their jobs and bought provisions. Lundgren encouraged all of the followers to use up any of their available credit cards. All the group members, including the Averys, gathered their worldly possessions. Around April 12th, Two or three of the followers secretly began digging a six-by-seven-foot pit in the dirt floor of Lundgren's barn. Lundgren told Cheryl Avery to write and tell her family that they were going to Wyoming. Then Lundgren invited the Averys to dinner. And again, in the first episode, we talked about how they had made it clear that they were going to Wyoming. Well, apparently that was actually staged by one cult leader. On April 17, 1989, Dennis, Cheryl, and their three daughters ate at the Lundgren farmhouse. It was after dinner, Lundgren went out to the barn with his son, Damon, as well as four followers. That would be Brand, Kraft, Winship, and his right-hand man, Ron Luff. The Avery stayed in the house with the women and children. At Lundgren's direction, Luff individually led each family member out to the barn where each was bound and gagged by the men. After the men placed each Avery family member into the pit, Lundgren shot each person two or three times with a 45 caliber semi-automatic weapon. The men then filled the pit with dirt and stones. Afterwards, Lundgren and the others went back into the farmhouse and held a prayer meeting. Lundgren killed the Avery family 
both because of a message he felt he got from God and because he saw the family as disloyal for not pooling their finances into a common church fund. Now, the thought of these followers returning to the scene of the crime is just beyond disturbing, but just goes to show you how much control Lundgren had over these people. In an extreme example of tragic irony, the day after the murders, police officers and FBI agents visited the Lundgren farm to investigate reports about the planned temple assault. If they would have come any other day before the 17th, there is a chance, I'm not saying it's a big chance, but there is a chance that the Avery family may still be alive. Everyone interviewed said they were at the farm voluntarily and denied knowing anything about any plans to assault the temple. So the FBI left without arresting anyone. And like any smart cult, this was a sign for the group to leave town. So the group slipped away to begin their wilderness trip. Mountain campsites near Davis, West Virginia, were picked by Lundgren, and the group lived in tents through October 1989. In order to maintain the cult's finances, some of the women followers took jobs while in West Virginia, and the men continued their paramilitary exercises. In a classic cult leader move, Lundgren wanted a new wife and chose Tanya Patrick. I don't have much detail about what went wrong, but apparently that arrangement did not work out. And it was when Lundgren went to Katherine Johnson and wanted to make her his second wife that eh, he kind of made the wrong decision. And the reason being is that leader's choice upset Catherine's husband, Larry, and contributed to the group's dissension. So by October 1989, Lundgren and his family and about 10 of the followers moved to Missouri. And after living in tents for months, major cracks began to form. And by the end of December 1989, Larry Johnson was so sick of it, he finally contacted federal authorities and told him about the murders. It was on January 3rd, 1990, when Kirtland police began digging out the pit in the barn and found Dennis Avery's body. Police uncovered the other Avery family members' bodies the following day. And as I said before, Lundgren had shot Dennis twice in the back and Cheryl three times in the torso. This gets a little graphic. He shot Trina once in the head and twice in the body, Rebecca in the back and thigh, and Karen in the head and chest. The coroner found silver duct tape wrapped around the victim's heads, hands, and feet. The origin of the two damaged bullets found at the scene was unknown, but police discovered that a 45 caliber semi-automatic weapon belonging to Lundgren had been fired and basically was the the murder weapon. It is believed that Lundgren had bought the weapon with Avery's credit card in 1987 and sold it in West Virginia in October 1989. It didn't take long for authorities to track down the cult leader and his wife after uncovering the crimes. It was actually only four days that this manhunt lasted. And it was on January 7th, 1990, when federal investigators arrested Jeffrey Lundgren and his wife in San Diego, California. They would be extradited back to Cleveland to face murder charges. 
Lundgren's wife and son, along with 10 other cult members, were indicted on charges related to the murder of the five members of the Avery family, according to the News Herald. Most would eventually plead guilty and cooperate with the prosecution in exchange for lighter sentences. NBC News reported that at the trial, Lundgren was unrepentant and resolute in his convictions, telling the jury, quote, It's not a figment of my imagination that I can, in fact, talk to God, and I am a prophet of God, and I am even more than a prophet. On August 29th, after deliberating for just two hours, the jury found Lundgren guilty on five counts, each of aggravated murder and kidnapping. Weeks later, he would be sentenced to death. In addition to Jeffrey Lundgren, his wife, Alice, and son Damon would also be sentenced to life in prison on aggravated murder and kidnapping charges, as would Ronald Luff and Daniel Kraft, because they were in the barn when the Averys were shot dead. Richard Brand and Greg Winship pleaded guilty and were paroled in 2010 after spending nearly 20 years behind bars. As were cult members Sharon Bletchley, Susan Luff, and Deborah Oliveras. Catherine Johnson was sentenced to a year in prison after pleading guilty to obstruction and was released in 1991. So, just to give you a quick rundown of these accomplices, you had Alice Lundgren... She had five counts of murder, five counts of kidnapping. She was sentenced to 150 years to life. Damon Lundgren, aggravated murder, four counts. Kidnapping, four counts, 120 years to life. Ronald Luff, aggravated murder, five counts. Kidnapping, five counts, 170 years to life. Daniel Kraft, 50 years to life. Gregory Winship, 15 years to life. Richard Brand, 15 years to life. Sharon Bletchley, 7 to 25 years. Deborah Oliveras, 7 to 25 years. Susan Luff, 7 to 25 years. As I said, Katherine Johnson, 1 year. Dennis Patrick, 18 months. Tanya Patrick, 18 months. These people were really bad people, so to think that they didn't get you know, life sentences along the lines of brand it's a tough one to say but as i mentioned at the beginning of this episode the duo of amanda garrett and maggie martin wrote an incredible article called 10 years later kirtland cult members break their silence in the cleveland plain dealer on april 11th 1999 and they wrote quote standing in the dim light of the barn that April evening, Ron Luff could see the glint of his preacher's pistol amid the shadows of the muddy pit. Even before Jeffrey Lundgren cocked the gun's hammer, Luff knew what was going to happen. Lundgren was going to shoot and kill five members of his congregation, a mother and father and their three school-age daughters, sacrificing them in the name of the Lord. The massacre was unavoidable, Luff thought, and though he could have tried, he did nothing to intervene in what would come to be known as the Kirtland cult slains. Let's hear from this week's sponsor, BetterHelp.com. We may have moved past 2020, but 2021 is still looking fairly grim. But today I'm happy to tell you about BetterHelp.com. 
Because if there's anything holding you back or interfering with your happiness, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. You can connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And it's really convenient because in this current state that we live in, it just has to be. So now you can get help on your own time at, at your own pace. All you have to do is schedule a secure video or phone session, or you can chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp really is there for you. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. And if, for whatever reason, you aren't happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time. So if you're suffering from depression or anxiety, stress, anger, relationship issues, heck, you're not getting a good night's sleep, or have LGBT matters, or just low self-esteem, they literally have a licensed professional counselor for you. And of course, everything you share is confidential. The thing I like the most is it's actually affordable. And Who Killed listeners get 10% off their first month with the discount code WHO. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com who. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs, and then you get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, for 10% off, go to betterhelp.com who. Quote, I've been through that scenario a hundred times or more, Luff said during a recent prison interview with the Martin and Garrett duo. I could have put them in a car and taken off, but that was not even a consideration. It wasn't even a viable option. And until recently, and this is in the article, none of the cult members had spoken. It was basically silence for 10 years. So Garrett and Mart wrote, as the 10th anniversary on April 17th draws near, several members have broken their silence, offering for the first time a glimpse into the worlds they shattered, both then and now. Their reflections, along with those of police, prosecutors, and others wrapped up in Lundgren's convoluted quest for Zion, reveal an often tragic tale that continues long after the murders. The duo goes on to say, while intense and prolonged publicity surrounding the case made several political, clerical, and church careers, the Kirtland cult broke many more lives. As I mentioned in the first episode, the destruction of the Lundgren family was left behind and Kirtland was sprawling. And they write, out of the ruins, some have found ways to forgive both themselves and cult members for what happened. Others have tried to move on, realizing there may be no answers to the questions that linger. Quote, I still don't know what happened, says Susan Luff, Ron Luff's estranged wife. Something went terribly wrong. Kirtland may be a semi-rural village, home to just 6,000 residents, but to members of the RLDS church, the community is a sort of Mecca and a historic destination that they travel hundreds of miles to visit so they might reconnect with the birthplace of their faith. Martin Garrett go on to write, most Kirtland residents didn't notice the pilgrimage or at least they didn't until it was found itself at the center stage in a drama built around murder, power, and religious fervor. Quote, 
We were supposed to help the hungry. We were supposed to help the poor, recalls Susan Luff, sitting on a sun porch at the Ohio Reformatory for Women in Marysville, a sprawling stone and brick campus ringed with coils and barbed wire northwest of Columbus. Quote, Of course none of that happened. Instead, cult members served only Jeffrey Lundgren, who wanted all their money, and time and again put a gun to their heads if they complained. In Martin and Garrett's deep dive, they give a great amount of detail about the day-to-day lives of the members. Reading from their article, By day, most of Lundgren's followers worked routine jobs. One was a nurse at a Cleveland hospital. Another worked for the Mentor City Engineer's Office. And a third worked for the Cleveland Electric Illuminating Company. When work ended, they all gathered at Lundgren's rented farmhouse for scripture studies, Lundgren, who often wore military fatigues and kept a rifle within reach, always a good sign, sometimes preached into the wee hours of the morning. Lundgren fed his group a hybrid mix of biblical and Mormon scriptures, all dissected and interpreted to meet his whims. According to cult members, nearly anything could be a sin, from adding too much garlic to a meal, as one Dennis Avery did, keeping money for yourself, again, Dennis Avery. From the beginning, Lundgren promised his followers he would take them to see God. To make the journey, he said, the cult first had to seize the Kirtland Temple and kill anyone who tried to stop them. Later, however, as I mentioned, Lundgren revised that plan and said the sacrifice of the Avery family would be enough to reach their goal. Since going to prison, none of the cult members had shared their stories about those days, but Susan and Ron Luff had agreed late last month, again, this is in the article, to talk about the killings and the aftermath. They live in prisons more than 100 miles apart, haven't communicated since 1992, and are seeking a divorce. Both now denounce Lundgren as manipulative and deluded, but each has found a very different way of coping with the past and the future. Where Ron Luff has taken solace in leaving the church and sinking himself into mainstream Christianity, his estranged wife has found comfort in the realm of self-help books and therapy. Quote, I'm doing everything I can to give back to society. With her clean, scrubbed face and khaki trousers, Susan Luff looks and sounds more like a suburban housewife than a prison inmate. When she's not thinking about her two children, Matthew, now 17, and Amy, 14, praying or helping fellow inmates boost their self-esteem, she's making crafts for the needy, including hundreds of stuffed rabbits out of washcloths. Quote, I'm doing everything I can to give back to society, Luff said. As strange as it may seem now, she said helping others had always been her intent. Never, Luff said, did she mean to hurt anyone. Yet, 10 years ago, she and the other women in the cult entertained the Avery's children in a farmhouse near the barn while their parents were being killed. Later, the women let the men in the cult lead Rebecca, Trina, and Karen Avery out to their deaths as well. Again, they just did an incredible job researching this article, and so kudos to the plain dealer. Wish you still were what you were, but times are changing. And again, as I mentioned before, the bodies were unearthed in early January, and authorities learned of the slains 
From that tipster, one Larry Johnson. Now, in the days after the murders, Luff fled with the rest of the cult members and was later arrested following that short nationwide manhunt. I didn't understand any of it, Susan Luff says. Even now, a decade later, Luff says she still doesn't know the particulars about the slains or the inner workings of the cult. In the aftermath of the arrests, while investigators, prosecutors, and other cult members were asking what happened and why, Luff said she asked only one question. Quote, who am I? And like any good cult leader, he had a right-hand man. And that was, of course, one Ron Luff. Now, this guy, he was in the thick of it, as Martin writes. And on the night of the murders, he not only helped lure the Avery family into the barn, in one of the most sickening images, he carried the youngest girl, Karen, on his shoulders to meet her death. It was only after his arrest and several meetings with cult deprogrammers that the horror of that night became clear. It was after meeting with cult experts before his trial, he slowly realized that everything he thought he knew about God, scriptures, and to some extent himself was wrong. Martin and Garrett go on to say, the only thing certain about Jeffrey Lundgren is that he had a clear desire to live off other people. Luff said he wanted to have people around him who would idolize him as a god and support him as one. The Avery family did both. In a disturbing detail from the fantastic article, it turns out even before the Averys moved from their Missouri home to join Lundgren, other members of the cult knew they were targeted for death. I spoke about the dissatisfaction Lundgren had with Dennis Avery and his family in part one, but no one knows exactly why the family was an early target. If you go off what Lundgren said during his trial, he had a vision indicating that God wanted the family sacrificed. But former cult members and those who have studied the group say it's more likely the Averys were killed because they posed some threat to Lundgren. In the first episode, I talked about the Averys selling their home in Missouri. Even though Dennis gave most of that money to Jeffrey Lundgren, he kept some of it for his family, like any smart person would do. But that would be something that Lundgren would later call sinful. And another thing that we talked about in the previous show was that Lundgren felt that Cheryl Avery was too independent and the children were just undisciplined. And those were also sins, according to Lundgren. Garrett and Martin's article goes on to say, Luff recognizes that the Averys were the ultimate victims in Lundgren's scheme. He told the reporters the family could have just as easily ended up in his place, helping to kill others. After all, Luff said, the Averys believed everything that Lundgren preached too. They turned most of their life savings over, bought guns for the group, and hung on Lundgren's every word. But in the end, Luff said, the Averys had to be killed because they had nothing left to give. Quote, Jeff had exhausted them as a resource, Luff said. As the article goes on, the reporters discuss the people involved in the investigation and where they ended up. One assistant Lake County prosecutor was able to make a book deal and cash in. 
And then there was prosecutor Steve LaTourette, who became a U.S. representative. And he said, quote, when this case came real, it was a nightmare from the start to finish. You had strange twists in the case that were unplanned, but we dealt with them. His success, LaTourette said, not only put Jeffrey Lundgren on death row, but helped propel him to Congress. Hundreds of miles away in Independence, Missouri, sits another man whose career was launched by the case. That is Dale Luffman, former president of the Kirtland stake of the reorganized church and a main player from part one of this two-part series. And he has since risen to the position of apostle, a role he equates to that of a cardinal in the Catholic Church. Quote, I think events like this make or break you. I was lucky. I came to realize the church was as much a victim as the Averys, Luffman said. The RLDS is not the demon here. Some people in the name of God do a lot of crazy things. Jeff used religion for all the wrong reasons. Police Chief Dennis Yarborough died in 1998, but his wife Gail told the paper the investigation was something that he was obsessed with, and both because he was the town's cop and because the family belonged to the reorganized church. Former assistant Lake County prosecutors Karen Lawson and Sandra Dre have gained a conviction in the case of Alice Lundgren. Lawson said she asked to be assigned to this case. Quote, I perceived that she would be part of the inner circle of the cult, and therefore it would be one of the most interesting cases. And it turned out it was one of the most difficult cases because Alice was not at the farm when the murders happened. She had gone shopping. Lawson went on to work in private practice. Dre also went into private practice and said she occasionally thinks about the case. Again, this is a deep, deep dive by Garrett and Martin, so kudos to them for being able to hash out this crazy story. And Dre was a good friend of Yarborough's and said that the chief who passed away in 1998 did not get enough credit for the work on the case. Quote, he helped us understand it. He was able to explain the concepts and perceptions, so we weren't just dealing with the supposed crazies. He explained some of the methods to their madness. And when you have a case as complicated and sprawling as the cult killings, you're going to have members who cut deals, as I mentioned, for less time. And there's, all going to be, there's also going to be people who've served out their sentence. The Ohio Department of Corrections Parole Board released Richard Brand on March 29th from his 15 years to life sentence in the case, and he was the latest of four going free after the 1994 convictions. These guys were all being released. Gregory Winship, Susan Luff, Deborah Oliveras, and Sharon Bletchley were all going to be paroled in one year, within a year. And the parole board webpage lists Brand to be supervised for five years in an interstate compact between authorities. After being refused a release three times, Brand won parole the fourth time after victims declined to protest his release. Working on the Lake County case with then-prosecutor Stephen LaTourette, Brand testified against all three Lundgrens and Luff. 
the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction officials have confirmed that inmate Jeffrey Lundgren will be executed on Tuesday, October 24th, 2006, at 10 a.m. The execution would take place at the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility located in Lucasville, Ohio. The Ohio Revised Code mandates lethal injection as the manner of execution. From a Reuters article, quote, The state of Ohio on Tuesday executed a cult leader who killed a family of five, a crime he said God had commanded him to carry out. Jeffrey Lundgren, 56, was pronounced dead at 10.26 a.m. Eastern, according to, or following an injection of lethal chemicals at the Southern Ohio Correctional Center in Lucasville. For my last words, I'd like to profess my love for God, my family, my children, and my beloved wife. I am because you are. And that was what Lundgren said before he was ex- executed. And again, his group believed Doomsday was near. And pre- the prosecutors said Lundgren killed the Avery family both because of a message he felt he got from God and because he saw the family as disloyal for not pooling their finances into that common church fund. Lundgren, Lundgren's last meal of choice on Monday night before his execution was turkey, potatoes, and gravy with a salad and pumpkin pie. Now, he was the 1,050th person executed in the United States since 1976 when the country restored capital punishment. It was the 5th in Ohio in the year 2006 and the 24th in the state since 1999. While Jeffrey Lundgren is six feet under, his wife, Alice, is still serving 150 years to life. His son, Damon, 120 years to life. And Luff, 170 years to life. Unfortunately, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And in 2010, one of Lundgren's son was arrested for violently abusing his three-month-old baby. He was accused of throwing the child across the room, fracturing his skull. Luckily, the baby was expected to survive. Now that 30 years have passed and Jeffrey Lundgren has been executed and a lot of members have served their time and the ones most responsible are still in jail, I am very hopeful that the families and the people connected to the Averys, as well as the communities impacted by this tragedy, are healing. Because when you have a case like this, it really takes a a lot out of the community, and it takes a lot to rehab your image. So I hope for the city that they are moving forward, because Kirtland's a beautiful town, a beautiful village, And it is something that should not be known for something so tragic. I really just hope that the people who were close to the Avery family in Missouri and their relatives have been able to process this because this is an unusual and tragic crime. And it's probably the first cult killing since Jim Jones in 1989. Of course, we've had 
Heaven's Gate since then, and there's been a couple of others as well. But this was certainly one that caught the attention of the national press as well as the international press. So it's very wild that a small rural village of 6,000 people would be associated with such a terrible, terrible event. So again, Kirtland, you're a great village, great city. Everybody hopes that you are known for better things than the cult slains of 1990. So there you have it. The Kirtland cult killings. Tragic and totally avoidable. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. And next week, look for a special episode. It will be a crossover episode with a new true crime show from Evergreen Podcasts called Crime Capsule. And I will have the host, Benjamin Morris, as my guest to discuss some of the crimes that he will be discussing on Crime Capsule. It's going to be very entertaining. As you know, I drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday. If you enjoy this podcast, as well as the other shows that I produce, you can help support Slow Burn Media by using my PayPal username at WilliamHuffman3. Or you can contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at Bill-Huffman-3. Every contribution, big or small, helps keep these slow burn podcasts running. You can also support the show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening to your favorite shows. Those five stars do help keep the important cases that I cover, such as all the unsolved cases that I've covered, in the spotlight. If you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered, as well as the new shows I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. You never know what you're going to get. Thank you so much again for listening. And until next time, have a great Thanksgiving. And as always, be healthy and stay safe. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com Hello everyone, my name is Tom Kearns and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.